Welcome to another episode of Logistics with Purpose. I'm your host, Enrique Alvarez, and today I'm very excited because we have, as usual, a very, very cool guest. And uh, I'm also very excited because I have a super co-host, Christy. Christy, how are you doing today? Hi, I'm good. I'm really excited about this episode. Well, I guess I'm excited about all of our episodes, Right, right. equally excited. It's just fun to get to talk to good people. It's just fun to actually do these things because they kind of are uplifting and inspiring. And I, I agree with you. Like the days that we actually get the uh, privilege to interview these people, I just feel great after that. So it's it's a good kind of morale booster for our days and weeks. So go ahead. Why don't you? Uh, well, before we do that, I just want to remind everyone that's listening to us or watching us on YouTube to uh, to sign up for our channel. You can listen to us in any uh in any podcast uh, player that you use. And you can also sign up for our YouTube channel at supplychainnow.com. You can also listen to our episodes through the website, also at supplychainnow.com. Once again, this is Logistics with Purpose. I'm Enrique Alvarez, and let's introduce our guest for today. Yes, absolutely. So um, today we have Janice with Gifts for Good, and I have been a fan of Gifts for Good for a long time. They, um, they've been around for about four years and have just completely reinvigorated, in my opinion, corporate giving um, and giving at scale. And now, as I've recently learned, you can also uh, buy gifts just as a, a person like you or me. So I'm really excited to welcome Janice and hear more about Gifts for Good. And for those who aren't familiar, um, before we dive into Gifts for Good, actually, Janice, tell us a little bit about your background. And as we were talking earlier, you've had multiple giving positions in your background. So um, tell us more about your childhood and just what inspired you at an early age to start giving back. Yeah. Um, thank you guys so much for having me. It's exciting to be here on the podcast. And I love logistics. Um, I also love giving back. So I will say I came from a family that taught me that like from a very early age um I grew up going to church and from my allowance like I had envelopes and so I could spend a certain part of my allowance that went in one envelope I had to save a certain part that went in another and in a third envelope it was to give away and so from my was that early the Dave Ramsey system or did your parents were they even before pre Dame Dave Ramsey <laughs> yeah um <laughs> But, but yes, like I was just taught, like when you get money, this is how you steward it and you give away out of what you first get. So that's my earliest memories of like how to manage money come from that. Um, and yeah, so taught by my family. But then I think also it's just, I don't know, some of that's just in you. Like my mom will tell me from being a small kid of like, wanting to give more. I remember sponsoring a child with World Vision. I was in elementary school, right? But it was like, she, she was, you kept asking me like, why do we have this and other people don't? So I think that kind of injustice or in um, things that weren't equitable were always just important to me and kind of like just me. Yes. And so I, any kind of particular um moment or uh, you already told those one from your mom but anything else that kind of reminded you of uh the fact you had to give uh give back or any kind of go growing up like take us through your upbringing if you if you don't mind sure i think there was there was a pivotal moment for me my senior year of college so i went to a small liberal arts college in santa barbara but i did a semester in san francisco and i double majored in sociology and business which 
did not necessarily go together in the 90s, but it does now. they have suited yeah. me. They do now. And they've suited me well. Like I always felt like there were these two very different side of my brains and I was always trying to reconcile them. And in the early parts of my career, that was hard. It has become easier. But I did a semester in San Francisco um, in an urban studies program. So we talked about you know, racial issues and poverty issues. And um, we lived in Pacific Heights. That's where the home was located. So this nice part of San Francisco. But I took my internship working in the housing projects and I was dealing with the drive-by shootings. And then I'd go home and I was, you know, 2021, 20, this kid from a really nice neighborhood and I was trying to just go like, this is so wrong. And it's basically based on my zip code of where I live or the color of my skin. Um, and so I really, I was just praying and I just was like, I have to find ways in what I do to make sure that I am making a change and making the world a better place. So it wasn't always easy for me. I will say like when I graduated, uh, you had student loans and I couldn't take certain jobs that I wanted to take. And even working in the private sector, I worked a second job um, just to make sure that I could pay everything on time. Um, and I, I wasn't really doing things that I that motivated me, but I was an early manager and I had two jobs early in my career where I was managing a warehouse and a team. And I liked the functions, right? It was like, the logistics, the getting the orders out, getting things on time. Um, so I liked these different functions, but I wasn't motivated about what's in that actual shipment. It was like cleaning supplies because um, uh, I worked for this like restoration company for a while. And it wasn't until uh, so I had moved to San Francisco a few years post-college. I worked in higher education for a while. So I worked at Stanford School of Medicine. I worked as the interim director for that urban program that I had been a student at. And then I decided to go back to school. And I went to business school in Milan, um, which was its own logistical feat. Um, why why, why Milan, if you don't mind me asking? I mean, is it you wanted to be in Europe? Is that something that you had? Did you come across as someone very structured and, and you plan ahead and you're, you have a plan? I so know, what, I know. How did that I, fit into? I always... I always thought I would go back to school. Um, I was getting older and I was like, if I'm going to do it, I should do it. European schools were less expensive. I could do it in one year as opposed to two. So every six weeks I was starting all new classes and I could do my internship anywhere in the world. And I come from a Sicilian family. So I also was like, why not, why not move to Italy to go to business That's school? Awesome. Yeah, Santa Barbara, uh, San Francisco, Milan, you did a much better job than no. I did of picking <laughs> And then I moved to Johannesburg for my internship, and I worked on a um, presidential project of a urban community renewal. So I worked in a township, um, which was a whole other experience um, for four months and kind of worked on a book with kids. I had 170 kids from the 17 schools and we did a whole project with cameras and kind of seeing life of Alex through their eyes. Um, and then I came back to Southern California and was like, I don't really know what to do next. And I 
I had a conversation with a couple of people from a university. One was the dean of that uh, business school. And he said, I want you to meet one of our professors of finance. He's the former CFO of World Vision International. And those two people just were very kind to me and made some connections. And I ended up taking a job at a nonprofit called Giving Children Hope. We were a big warehouse. Um, of humanitarian aid. And um, so when those container shipments going out, they were to do, you know, a rural clinic in Zambia, or they were disaster relief, or they were, you know, they did was a lot of work done for Katrina. Um, and so all of a sudden, it was different for me, because these things that I liked in job function, I was marrying with mission and purpose and yeah when you're getting cholera meds out to zimbabwe for a cholera outbreak like it's a it's a different sense of satisfaction or for me it definitely was um in 2010 i was deployed to haiti right after the earthquake so that was probably one of the hardest things that i've had to do and certainly the challenges i would say logistics and communication like those were two things of like can you get what is needed where it's needed um and so those are just two very critical pieces right after that i was approached by toms which was a startup in those days well, Vivi, if you don't mind me interrupting you there right very quickly before you kind of jump into uh the more uh more of your career which by the way it's not only fascinating but incredibly successful but So while you were going through all these different experiences and you're in Haiti and uh, it was, I imagine it must have been hard. Um, I mean, you were absolutely clear at that point that that's what you wanted to do the rest of the life, right? You didn't have, because you have the business background, you have the MBA, you have uh, all these different experiences in logistics and warehousing and order fulfillment. I mean, were you at that point a little bit more clear as of what you wanted to do? And I ask you this because there's a lot of younger people that kind of, see our show and so if you were to recommend them something like at what point do you found out that calling if uh, you will i i sometimes think i'm still figuring it out because i think that the jobs today are written very much for like you're a specialist doing x and that has never been me and so i think i've gravitated to the more startup environments because I'm not necessarily really excellent at one thing. I can jump into a lot of areas um, and you tend to find that more in startups. I'm good at problem solving. Like I've spent time figuring out what do I, what do I like doing? What do I think I'm good at doing? What are the things that I really hate doing? Like putting together deck proposals. Like I'm pretty bad at that. So I don't want a job that like is going to require a lot of that. So I think I've just tried over time. And then I love different like assessments, like the Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram and the Strengths Finder. Those things have been to me, like focusing on my strengths and not my weaknesses. And if I could strengthen my strengths and I come up high as like, I forget what it is right now, but it's kind of like being a conductor, like seeing how all the pieces fit together is something that I'm good at. So I, for me, I've tried to look at job descriptions through those lenses and go, is there enough of those things? Um, because I think I am more of a generalist than a specialist in a lot of ways. And jobs just aren't written that way. Right. No, and it sounds so, like on top of just knowing yourself, which uh, 
which is something important, of course, if you're trying to decide what career to go to, then you're you're taking risk and uh, accepting opportunities, right? I mean, they Milan, and then they send you to Haiti. I mean, that probably wasn't easy, and you still say yes, probably. Yeah. Well, and I think that's the thing too. Is then as I've taken risks. Um, I've been able to carve out where I'm good and then try to hire for these other skill sets that aren't my best skill set. Um, but I think you're right. Taking risks has been a big part of what I have done that most people aren't willing to well, do. Even what you um, said earlier about for young people or really for anybody at any stage of their career, having the mentors to help point you, see the skills and the things that you can't see and help point you in different directions and make introductions. That's a really important early in your career, but is important at any stage, really. And it sounds like that really helped set you on um, a path as well. 100%. I have um, actually just a week ago, I was up in San Francisco with my 90-year-old friend because when she was 65 and I was a college kid in the housing projects, that woman walked with me and cried with me and invested in me. And she is still one of my best friends to this day. So I am grateful for having mentors. I try to collect good people. Um, and I try to also be a mentor to people younger than me because I know how pivotal it has been for me in my career um, and just my personal life. Yeah. Well, and go ahead. So continue. Then you actually get approached oh, by Tom's, no, right? So I got approached by Tom's. I actually said, no, I wasn't interested in talking to them um, when I first got the email. And then I decided to talk to them. Um, and honestly, one of my hesitations was like, oh, I'm getting out containers of medical aid. I had just come back from Haiti. How can I go to sending out shipments of shoes? Right. So for me, that was a hard, like a hard transition. Um, but when I had my first conversation with them, I realized they were very, very invested in how do we do this well? How do we give um, products strategically? So I was working for a gift and kind organization. So I knew all about product donations, right? And this like very specific niche of gifts in kind, which isn't a term a lot of people even know. And for Tom's at the time, it was 50% of their business model and they didn't know the term. Um, and I was talking about Erdo standards and these things that you know were kind of different for them. And I knew I had been, because I was working for an international NGO, I knew the criteria that international NGOs were looking at. And so I also saw it as, can we push the industry of product donors to give better? So we did a few things different. Um, uh, we gave new shoes made to order. We didn't give like the leftovers, which is, I'm not saying there's not a place for that, but it is how most product donations are given by corporations, right? It's like, we don't need this, so let's surplus. get rid of it. Yeah, surplus. And, um, and the, I mean, it's, I'm glad people are doing something good with surplus, but we had a very different strategy and we said, we actually want to understand what the needs are and we want to produce and deliver based on the needs because this isn't out of my surplus. We are building this into our mission and our business model. We then paid ocean freight, which is not something that most product owners do, right? 
And then it was one step further. And I don't know another business doing this. And I remember being a part of like those early conversations of how do we get this through? We said, we're going to give you a certain financial amount for every pair per pair amount so that we can cover last mile distribution expenses. So we went really above and beyond what I, any company I'm aware of really did. And then we also began in our application process where we were looking at not just like the logistical infrastructure of can you handle a container of shipments and all these things, but we looked at your program. How can this have be integrated into your programmatic intervention? Can we measure programmatic impact? We actually funded an impact, uh, a randomized control trial to understand the impact of shoes, which was something that usually isn't done. And we did mapping. So we made sure that if I'm giving to this program and that program and they're anywhere near each other, that we were mapping it all and making sure that they were talking to each other because we didn't want like one kid getting three pairs of Toms from three different organizations. Um, so we tried to be really thoughtful in, um, in what we were doing and, um, and gave, you know, scaled it from a million pairs to 50 wow. million pairs given um, in, the, in the four years that I was there. Um, from there I went well, to work once on- again, so yeah. what was your so you, what was the position that they were hire you for? Because uh, it was it was called giving account manager, <laughs> which which uh, I'm uh, guessing they didn't even know what that was, but they needed someone with logistics and gifting I mean, kind of experience. They and, were they were figuring it out, right? right? It was you like them figure all this out. They were, the early days. It was like people were taking shoes in a suitcase to some community that they were going to, and then as the sales took off, there needed to be a lot more structure and about you know how do we give container loads not suitcases full um so there was a lot uh that had to be built anybody had heard of the social enterprise model at that point i mean social enterprise just wasn't you know tom's was certainly a leader in that complete model and you know so you guys having to figure it out was certainly paving the way for lots of organizations to come after you yeah, well, and there were more like financial models, right? We were actually dealing with product and, you know, future models for Tom's. It was maybe more complicated messaging. Like when we sell a pair of sunglasses, we give sight to someone in need. Um, and that was more, that was harder for people to understand. But from a logistics standpoint, it was like we were writing a check to deliver one of a few different interventions. Um and so it was much easier, whereas on the shoe end, like we had to have a team of people that managed the shoes, right? it. The shipping the shoes, making decisions, going into the field. I mean, I piloted giving shoes in um, refugee and IDP communities. So I, I spent time in like East Africa where we were in, you know, Rwanda, I went to Congo because I'm like, this is a conflict zone. Like, what are the things that sitting in my office in Santa Monica? I don't know. Um, we need to understand at another level. So yeah, we did a, we did a lot of that just to see how is this working and made changes. So like when I saw, oh, the boxes are falling apart or this or that, like, this is really hard for the person trying to do distribution. And we came back and we made changes. Do you remember one particular story or something that kind of um, you can share with the audience regarding logistics and how you solved it? Something on the lines of what you were just saying? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I remember when 
someone on the, the shoe production side made a decision that like, we were, we had originally been giving in EU sizes and all of a sudden they changed it to American shoe sizes. And um, we didn't know that. And then shoes started showing up in the field and it was very confusing because American shoe sizes for kids go to like 13 and then back to two and then up to, you know, adult, whatever. <laughs> and we're dealing with people that don't understand right. the sizes that maybe can't read. And one of the things that we did, or like a size, you know, 13 child and a size 13 adult are very different. So huge confusion um, when you're pulling boxes and doing distribution and now you're really far out and like you don't have the right thing. So we actually started putting an imprint on the side of the box of how big the shoe was. You could just look at it and go, okay, that's a 13, but it's this big versus this big um, to try to just like, how do we problem solve? Um, so those are some of the things that, yeah, we got to be kind of in the early days of how do you give away millions of pairs of shoes? Well, that will fit that aren't hurting local markets, you know, all of those things you have to think about. Um, I tried several so of those giving trips, by the way. <laughs> I tried what? to win several of those giving trips. Oh. <laughs> Sadly, never chosen, yes. but that's okay. Yes. Uh, they was always, that was a highlight for staff, staff who got to go. And um, yes, and sometimes people from the outside. So. Um, well, thank you for taking uh, us up. Yeah. Let's talk about what you're doing now. <laughs> but yeah, uh, what I'm doing about, now. Uh, Gifts for Good. So for those who aren't familiar with you guys, tell us a little bit about the history and Laura starting it and the model and process for you guys and just a, a good overview of Gifts for Good. Yeah, so Gifts for Good was founded in 2017. So there's two co-founders, uh, Laura Hertz and Jerry Eisenberg, and they were actually studying at USC, getting their master's in social entrepreneurship. And it started as a class project. And it started as a, hey, we think that um, if we focus on the issue of homelessness and like new homes, because they both had somewhat of a real estate background. Um, they're like, every time a new home is sold, there's a closing gift given. And what if those closing gifts help to support the issue of ending homelessness? Um, and that was the original premise. And, um, and then they began involving the idea. And in kind of spring of 2017, I went to this social enterprise conference and I heard Laura give her little 60 second pitch on gifts for good. And it sounded a little bit like Tom's marketplace that I was familiar with. So I just went up to her afterwards and said, hey, here's a number of brands that you might want to talk to about your project. And I didn't think too much of it. She took my card and then um, she kept emailing me. And so I eventually had coffee with her and it turned into a two hour conversation and we both had lived in Johannesburg and she's like, you need to join us. And I was a little like, this isn't a company yet. You know, there was no website. This wasn't a thing. Um, and yet somehow uh, that summer uh, I joined the team and we launched the business October 20th, 2017, when we sold our very first chain. Um, so that became our birthday. And um, I will tell you, and sometimes I can't talk about these things without crying. So forgive me in advance. But October 20th of last year, 2020, um, 
I was at our fulfillment center and we had maybe 10 people kidding boxes for a custom order for Snapchat. We were doing something for their global workforce. And I'm going, three years ago, we sold a keychain. <laughs> and now there are all of these people here with barriers to employment. Um, some of them coming out of incarceration, some of them coming out of homelessness, and they're all working on this big project and we're getting all of these boxes out to 20 countries. Wow. And it is really amazing. So I feel really blessed of what we've been able to do in the last you know, few years. So we are focused on the corporate gifting space. Um, we try to curate product that makes sense for that space um all high quality products so we don't want to be kind of that sometimes and like and nothing against fair trade so i don't mean this in the wrong way but sometimes it's not always what feels like a business gift um so we've tried to focus on really premium products um that really target a specific budget right so i like to say to businesses this is a line item on your budget already and we're just turning it into a budget for good. So like, first and foremost, I have to meet those gifting criteria. Like it has to be something you'd wanna send. And then by the way, every product has a story behind it. Every product we work up front, I manage all of our partnerships and operations and we work up front with each of our um, vendors. There's a two-stage application process that we have. And we try to quantify something that can be measured for every product. So that we can, you know, let a business know, like, this is what you're going to create when you want to send these 300 items. Um, but also for our own, you know, internal, um, you know, impact reports, we know we can look at the course of a year based on our sales. And we know last year we created almost 37,000 hours of employment for resettled refugees for individuals with disabilities for people coming out of homelessness for veterans you name it like because we know how long a lot of these products take and we're working with a lot of workforce programs um to me that's like it's really amazing so that's no it, it's that's incredible our model I mean, it's unbelievable how much you're giving and how much you're making a difference out there um and you mentioned this uh, hours of employment. Is that is that the main premise? So just walk me very quickly. So let's say I I have been to your website. It's amazing. I actually wanted to buy a bunch of different things just because they're <laughs> so cool. If I do pick like this pack, backpack or or um, something, I go buy it. Then what happens? So what happens? What's the how do you how does that end up into? It depends on the product. Depends on the product because right now I'm working with over 50 different um, nonprofits or social enterprises. And what we don't want to do is dictate a model to them. What we want to do is understand their model um, and make sure that it fits with us um, and make sure that there is something that can be measured. So I have blankets that are made from recycled cotton and plastic water bottles. So my measurement there is around recycling. I've got product made with remnant fabric. I have backpacks that help fund bed nets. So there's a certain amount that goes to an organization that is tied to something specific. Um, so it really depends, but we do work with a number of non 
nonprofits and most of the nonprofits are doing job training programs. And so I do have a lot around the hours of employment, but I would say that is not exclusively we're funding, you know, clean water programs through some of our products, um, again, using recycled materials. So it just depends. Right. And I see again that you're not only empowering women, helping children, creating jobs, helping the environment, improving health, helping animals even. So it's like yeah. a very well-rounded portfolio of uh, organizations and causes that you're that you're passionate about. Which one which yeah. one was the first one? I mean, since you started, you guys launched it. What was the first uh, I guess homelessness that you already mentioned it, but the first product that you kind of launched, you now have 50, you said more than 50. None. Uh, we have over 50 vendors. I have over 500 products. So we launched <laughs> with probably uh, probably 20 organizations. Um, so we had a variety of products. Many of those vendors are still working with us today. Um, and then I'm continuously, I probably, you know, add five to 10 every year at this point, um, just because it is such a such a process. Um, and uh, there's the operational components too. And how do those systems talk to each other? And if we're dealing with like bulk orders that need to be customized, we want to understand people's capabilities because at the end of the day, there's a lot of logistics to this, right? right? It's like, this has to be branded and be at an event at a certain day. Um, we have to manage all those timelines and we need to understand capacity of organizations so that we can, Hit, hit all of the important, you know, milestones along the way. How do you choose? There's so many nonprofits, so many social enterprises, so many products out there. I know, obviously, you said quality is one, but with so many out there and having to vet them, how do you choose who actually gets to end up partnering with you? Yeah, I mean, it really is. The reason it's a two-stage application process is there are some top-line criteria, and so we have a very like short application um, up front. And for people that don't meet those top line criteria, we uh, let them know. We don't wanna you know, make anyone spend too much time. Um, some of it has to do with, you know, is it the right product for us? Do we have enough demand for this type of product? I don't wanna spend time on a partnership if it's not something that our customers are asking for um or other criteria some of it is around systems integration um some of it's around impact and measurement um so we look for some of those things if people do meet those they get passed on to the second stage they send us samples so we could see it and then there's a more extensive application and then you know i do calls with people to make sure i understand and we're aligned and then an onboarding process so it, um, it takes some time. We try to do a lot of the work up front so that it is pretty seamless once we've kind of launched someone new on our site. Um, but it's a lot of upfront work to make sure that, hey, this is going to work for everyone. And it really has to work for everyone. So that is something that is really important that um, um, we, because we do work with a lot of nonprofits, like I'm not trying to push people beyond what they can do. Like I want to make sure they understand what our customers ask for and how we work and make sure that it really does work for them. But I mean, we have organizations like we really grew last year with the pandemic. Um, and I have organizations that said, you know, you helped keep our doors open. I had dinner with one on Monday night. She said, you really kept us alive. Your, your orders, your demand. Um, 
So those are the things that, again, are just really, really exciting um, for us to be a part of and for our customers, too, because every product they get, they um, ship tells a story. So the feedback they get from their gift recipients is um, really meaningful because it's building a stronger bond between the business and their customers or the business and their employees. So it really is sort of impact. Um, uh, I'm more on the vendor side than the client side, but it really is impact all around. It goes way beyond just kind of giving some, like something material, right? I mean, you're really, yeah. you're really promoting like uh, giving back and paying forward and becoming a better citizen. A hundred percent. And we launched a gifting software last year called Gift Forward. So we've actually made it really easy for a business that um, uh, they don't have to come up with that one item that 300 people want um, and get the 300 addresses. They can actually launch a campaign based on their budget. We'll deploy a branded email to those 300 people when they give us those email addresses. And then that gift recipient will be able to like see this video. We can brand the video and then they pick out what they want. That is, that is great. I mean, I wish I would have heard of this like many, many years ago, because it's always such a pain, right? As a business owner, I totally understand yeah. what it entails to do the right thing and try to, to give something to your customers and appreciation or your employees. But at the same time, it's a nightmare to go through all the addresses and confirm the addresses and yeah. selecting the right person. So this is, this is great. Tell, tell us more about yeah, this. I'm sure. Yeah. So again, it's called gift forward. It's our, it's our gifting software. Um, we can structure it around budget. So that's how we sell it. How many people to what collection value um, we get the assets, we brand the campaign um, we deploy the emails and then wow. those gift recipients get to pick out what they want. So we, we see it as reducing waste of like, you're not getting something you don't want because you're picking no out what koozies. you do want. Yeah, no, more no, that's, that's great. Uh, you're putting in your own shipping address. So we know where to ship it. You can send a thank you note right after you put in your address, you can send a thank you note to the person who sent it. And if for one reason you don't want one of the many fabulous physical gifts, you can turn it into a um, impact donation. So you could fund planting trees or meals to kids in need. Um, uh, if like you just don't actually need anything more. Um, and then for the clients, they can, you know, log into their portal. They can see if you know, what's been delivered, they can read the thank you notes, they can um, see what the most popular items were, but they can see their impact. Um, so we've tried, we're trying to, you know, revolutionize gift giving um, and add impact. That's, that's fantastic. And actually, that kind of tees up my next question very, very nicely. And of course, we're going to give all, we're going to add all the information as of how to contact you and your company. And of course, the uh, incredible software that you're describing, uh, at, at the end of this interview, but uh, you spoke a little bit about the revolutionizing this industry and, and can, trying to give back to more people more efficiently, easier for, for everyone. What, so what trends have you kind of seen in, in corporate giving? So if you take a couple of steps back and kind of through your amazing experience um, throughout the last couple of uh, projects that you have uh, led, What's the what's the trend here, and how do you see the competitive landscape and and other companies? What, what do you see in the? I think I mean, twenty twenty was hard for everyone, right? Like it was a really hard year, and I think 
you know, we didn't know what was going to happen. We worked with a lot of live events and all of a sudden those were gone and we really didn't know what was going to happen. But we saw so many businesses wanting to reach people in new ways um, because it was a hard year, but they didn't want to be wasteful. Like they really like those budgets really meant something in 2020. And so we saw an increase because all of our products did good, you know, so they could still make someone feel good while doing good. And I just think that's going to grow. And again, the the ability to kind of measure what's being done and issue those social impact reports is something more and more people are um, wanting. We did become a certified B Corps last year. There was a tremendous growth in businesses wanting to become uh, a benefit corp- a certified B Corps corporation, which means it's like that external measurement of, you know, are you doing good for giving back? Are you doing good for the planet? Like this outside measurement. And I'm definitely seeing a trend to that being important, not just on your philanthropy, but across your whole business. So I do think that that's just going to continue. The beautiful thing about your software, especially in the middle of the pandemic is you didn't know where somebody was working. So you might not have all your employees and mailing addresses. And even the, you know, the work landscape will continue to change as we shift back to some being in person, some being hybrid, all of that kind of thing. So that's another fantastic outlet for um, companies. Yeah. And for virtual conferences too, because you had the email addresses for who came to a virtual conference, but whereas you might have handed them, you know, a gift box or something when they came in the door, like everything just had to be done different. So the software was a great solution for a number of businesses. And speaking of, you mentioned it earlier, you released your impact report. Um, I love that you you guys included so many cool, tangible things. Like I even love to like rides to, you know, breast cancer, um, chemo treatments. And there were so many very tangible things. And then so many just little cool assets that you were able to measure um, like that as well and, and measure impact in so many ways. So what are some of your successes either from just measurement standpoint, or maybe as you said, some of your partners were able to stay in business. So tell us just a a few more of your. Yeah. So I, I do this impact report every year. One day it will be automated. (laughs) Today it requires me looking at every single order. Um, So it probably took me a good two weeks in 2021 to look at what happened in 2020. Uh, But because we do have a measurement for every product, um, we are able to do those things. So I actually printed it, you know, some of my my favorites. Um, we provided almost 1,800 kids with a full year of school supplies. Um, we funded over 85,000 meals to kids in need. Um, and a lot of those with the organization I used to work at, Giving Children Hope, which works with um, a lot of families who are who are homeless here in Southern California. So... Um, I already mentioned all the hours of employment that we created. Um, we gave, we funded life-saving vitamins for a year for over 182,000 children. Uh, we planted over half a million trees. Um, we did some work with COVID last year. We had some new partners. So we gave over 78,000 masks to healthcare workers. But some of our total cash contributions was over $400,000 in 2020 as a three-year-old business. So it just, again, for me was like, just really 
fun. I mean, it's a lot of hard work, right? right? But fun to be a part of going like, we're doing all this through gift giving, right? Like, it's cool. Yeah. No, and you should feel incredibly proud. And so, so should the uh, entire team. Because, um, yeah, it's been, it's amazing. And the impact that you've made is incredible. I mean, clearly, the more you give, the more you get, right? As they say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, it was a fun year. So if you if 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 you consider your experience again, so not only uh, gifts for good, but uh, in your career as a professional uh, do gooder and uh, giving back to people, uh, what are some of the lessons, like the the top three, if you will, uh, the, some of the lessons you've learned, some of the things that you probably would advise other people to do in similar industries or or that want to get involved, some of the things that they probably should not do. Um, what are yeah. what are your lessons? I mean, I I'd say have a good work ethic. It's something that I was taught early on, but something that not not everyone has. And I think if you're gonna go in this line of work, like a really strong work ethic is important because um, it this doesn't just come right. It takes a lot of um, grit. I'd say don't be above doing anything. I mean, I started at Tom's. I was emptying my own trash can. Like again, I think people have this perception. Um, but you can't be above rolling up your sleeves and getting it done, especially if you join a startup because customer service phone calls ring to my cell phone. Um, it doesn't matter what your job is, like you do it because all those interactions are important. Um, and kind of like do find, try to find the things you're passionate about and try to understand yourself. Um, I know for me, like like I said, I geek out over all these tests, um, but kind of learning more about myself and going, do I see alignment with what I'm being asked to do? And or can I take a risk and carve out those things that I'm good at so that I can give these other things I'm not good at, you know, we can carve those out for someone else. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. This has been fantastic. As, as someone who has known about the company for a while, I still learned so much. So Thank you for being here with us um, and for anybody who um, is now inspired to, to buy and to give back either as an individual or as a company, um, let everybody know how they can connect with you and of course order from Gifts for Good as well. Yeah, so you can visit our website, which is giftsforgood.com. Um, we have a phone number on there, 877-554-1550. So you can call us, you can email us at hello at giftsforgood.com. You can follow us on all the social media at Gifts for Good HQ. Um, all of the ways that you can reach us and we would be happy to to work with you. Yeah. I love that you guys even have like you can help somebody that have the ability to speak with a gift expert and help somebody find um, what works for them. So for anybody who feels yeah. overwhelmed, that's a really cool feature too. Exactly. You might even get me if you call the number. <laughs> I'll help you pick out a gift. I saw that you can t you can chat with someone. You can also schedule a demo. I've been trying to search for the um, yeah. for this uh, gift forward software. Where where can someone find it on the website? Oh, yes, our gift forward software is under. Let me pull the website up. I believe it is gifting solutions. Um, under corporate gifting, you'll see gifting software. Um, so that will kind of walk you through um, how the software works. And then under corporate gifting, there's also like the services. So we do, you know, branded box and custom gift sets for clients. Um, 
and we can, you know, we mostly ship domestic, but we have some international brokers if, you know, people are shipping things all over the world um, that are kind of experts in that. So we can do small orders to large orders. Thank you so yeah. much for your time, Janice, and for sharing more about Gifts for Good. This was incredible. And I know our listeners will love it too. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. I um like I said, uh, the name of the podcast, <laughs> Logistics with Purpose, like I love it. And I think it's so true. Like logistics is such a huge part. I would say a theme of my career has been purpose, but it's also been logistics, right? Because like, and we've seen that like with vaccine distribution, like if you can't get it where it needs to be, when it needs to be, it doesn't matter. Um, and it's the same with like our guests at holiday time. I'm like, if they don't get there when the people want them, like it's a problem. Um, so it's that that has definitely been a theme of my career, logistics and purpose. So I'm super excited to be here today. We are we are humbled and inspired for having you here. It's been an amazing conversation. Uh, again, you can with our full support for whatever you guys are doing. It's amazing. And I hope a lot of other companies and organizations out there are not only listening to what you're doing, but hopefully they can follow your footsteps because uh, your business model and your overall kind of uh, purpose-driven organization is really, really making a big difference in the world. And congratulations. It's incredible. Thank you for giving us some time to talk today. Thank you so much for the for having me. Thank you. And for everyone else that's listening to another episode of Logistics with the Purpose, don't forget to sign up if you... Uh, if you're interested in listening to conversations like the one we had with Janice at Gifts for Good, please join us once again. This was Enrique Alvarez and Christy Porter, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you so much. Bye.